0: Hard to believe we're already on interview 20. (laughs) Yeah, I can't believe it myself, but oh well. Interview 20, episode probably going to be 34 or whatever, when all is said and done. But that's here nor there. My guest for today is the host, producer, and everything in between of his own podcast, the Play-By-Play cast. He is the radio voice of Ball Street Athletics in the More Manning's broadcast facility, which I hope they do name the press box and courtside position at the gym eventually. And TV broadcaster for men's and women's hoops for CBS Sportsnet. <clears throat> I'm talking to Joel Gardet. Did I get it all?
1: Uh, you got it all. You got it all.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to get into. <laughs> so... <laughs> How did you get your start? And in high school, were there any opportunities for broadcast at all? And you're not originally from Indiana, correct?
1: No, I'm from New Jersey originally. Uh, I grew up in Clinton, New Jersey, ah. um, which during the 90s did petition to change its name to Reagan, New Jersey. True story. Uh, it is still Clinton, New Jersey.
0: Did the folks have a problem with Clinton or did they just... Well, it, you know, it, it was they wanted.
1: It was it was that time, and there was a certain trial going on, and um, oh. yeah, um, I believe that's a true story. It should be now that I brought it up, but I'm almost positive it is. <laughs> um, so I, I went to North Hunterdon High School in uh, in Clinton, New Jersey, and uh, as a junior, started as our our sports editor of our newspaper, um, and that was my first foray into broadcasting journalism so to speak um went around and used to you know pull football players out of <laughs> class for five minutes to ask about the game on friday night um, and, and from there i joined the Hunterdon county democrat which was the local um newspaper and i i was the beat reporter for high school fencing my first assignment there i wound up being uh, a basketball reporter and a softball reporter by the time I was done um, and my first broadcast broadcast experience wound up being for Patriot 8 Media which was the local public access channel in the area uh, it does not exist anymore <coughs> but uh, I went in to Patriot 8 and just wanted to get involved in any way possible and that began as um, you know a cameraman on the local public access talk show where they would have You know, I mean, it was like it was like, you know, people from the Lions Club would come in and be interviewed about what was going on, the mayor and all of that, that that stuff. It was it was public television. Um, And I was the cameraman on a cooking show, which was always great because you got to eat the food afterward. Um, And then I I wound up the Patriot 8 produced live sports for high schools in the area. So I wound up a cameraman for sports, high school sports in uh, western New Jersey and graphics operator and there was one day where i was in the truck and one of the people on our staff asked what i wanted to do eventually in even mind i'm still in high school and i said my goal was to be on air and they wound up putting me on air as a color commentator because most of our high school games most all of our high school games were single man broadcasts paul Spukala, uh was the name of the, the, the play-by-play guy um, so paul was wonderful because he allowed me to be his color analyst and I had zero idea what I was talking about. Um, I don't like doing color for basketball. Now I could only imagine what it sounded like when I was in high school and I had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. Um, so that was my first foray and my first play by play assignment with Patriot eight was for a, uh, charity fundraiser basketball game. Why it was on television. I don't know, but cool. Um, it was between my high school, the North High School teachers and the local police and fire departments. Um, So that was was my first play-by-play assignment and I did that game solo on Patriot 8. Uh, But at the time, you feel like you're on the top of the world. So that was my early experience in broadcasting and uh, then I went to college for it and uh, the rest is history.
0: So when you were doing tv and when you're doing writing with the newspapers how much of that do you still use today and what do you feel like your keys were when you did writing and then when you're doing tv that you still use now
1: um you know i think a lot of it's subconscious um i always tell people that you're always a writer when you're broadcasting, you know if you're, you know if you're doing the local news, you are legitimately a writer because you're writing your sportscast, and uh, you have to be good and creative in how you do that. But I, I always tell people too that when you're you're broadcasting a game, you're still a writer. You're just doing it in real time. Um, so it's not one of those things where I actively think about what I'm scribing on the air and how I'm forming my, you know, sentence syntax while a guy's running down the field for a seventy yard touchdown. But there's a subconscious there to, you know, being able to write being able to work with words so that they come out in some sort of um, you know, oratorically pleasing fashion, uh while you're while you're speaking extemporaneously.
0: So where did you go to college and what did college life Teach you in how much did you carry from high school to what you were doing in college.
1: So I went to Syracuse, um, of course, yeah, the broadcast
0: factory of factories
1: that that it is that they uh, always say, yeah. I uh it was interesting, you know, I, I got nervous initially when I went to college, um, because I looked around at all these people that were coming in with like all this experience, and I remember you know, there was one guy, because, you know, when you get to college, you start, when you're an admitted student, you know, back then you would try to find all the other admitted students, and join your MySpace groups to, to start to get to know each other um, before you got to campus. And, uh, you know, there was one guy I had found who I was talking to who had done some, like, work covering the Houston Texans. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm so far behind. And, Uh, you know, Graham Bensinger was in my freshman class at Syracuse and that freaked me out because here's this guy who has his own actual radio show in St. Louis and he's interviewed all these famous people. Um, You know, I I think he had, I think he had done the Terrell Owens interview at that point that he kind of became known for. Um, So I was like, oh God, like this is crazy. Um, How am I supposed to catch up to this? Landon Sears who wound up becoming one of my really good friends in college uh, was a minor league baseball broadcaster, like had a job in the minor leagues before he ever set foot on a college campus. Um, so, you know, it's, it's intimidating early on. Um, but slowly you realize that, you know, you're all kind of starting with a blank slate once you get to college. And, um, and I just worked my tail off when I was there and I got cut from WAER, the student radio station. I've told this story a bunch, you know, the, third day of college they only take so many people to be what they call writers um you have to write your way you know you talked about writing you have to write your way onto the onto the on-air staff and and I was cut from that because they could only take so many I I just lost out on a numbers game um but I went to the other radio station on campus and I got on the air there and then eventually in the next semester I got on the air at WAER um and just worked my way up to be in a spot where I was calling a lot of games and, uh, you know, eventually put myself in a good position to to graduate and get, get a job in this field.
0: So what was the biggest key and how did you find your own level of comfort in college, even though you feel like, Oh man, I'm behind on this, behind on that. Everybody's been doing this. And how do I, how do I find, you know, how do I find my niche? How do I find my footing? What do I need to do to get my foot in the door? Because you we're talking about all these people that have done stuff and they're still doing stuff. People that, you know, that have graduated out of your classes are still doing things. But as a freshman, like how long did you feel like it took you to find yourself before, you know, getting comfortable in your own skin?
1: um yeah i mean it took some time um and it's tough for me to think back to that now i'm sure it, i'm sure i it was harder in the moment because you you're adolescent you think the world is ending when things aren't going 100 percent the way you, you you thought they would mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean you just kind of you, you stuck to it i mean i i just i just worked at it and took any opportunity that I could find. And when, you know, WAER didn't work out originally, I went to WJPZ, the second radio station on campus. And I got on the air immediately there because I made sure I was going to get on the air quickly there. And, um, you know, I went through the clearing process as fast as I could. And, you know, you had to write a sports cast and get it critiqued and get those critiqued and critiqued and critiqued until you were good enough to be on the air. And I, I wrote like one a day just to try to get myself on the air. Um, You know, uh, I was in a public policy class as a high school freshman, or excuse me, as a college freshman, and the local, you know, news talk show host came to speak, and I I went up to him, like, my third week of college, and I was like, hey, his name was Jim Reith. I said, Jim, I want to work for you. I want to be in radio. I don't, you know, I don't care what kind of radio right now. I just want experience, and that wound up leading to me being an intern at the, the radio cluster in Syracuse. And that included the news station and the sports station. And I eventually wound up on air there. Um, But it was all just, you know, putting myself out there and taking chances and taking opportunities. And, you know, it's funny because people always said when I went to college, you know, there's so many people at Syracuse. So, you know, it's hard to get internships and opportunities because all these people vying for the same things. Mm -hmm. That is true. um, But, you know, that, Radio Station Cluster, WSYR and WHEN, and they have a, a bunch of other stations. Uh, it's now iHeartMedia. It was Clear Channel back then. Um, I worked there for four years in college and after college, and it was not a happening place to chase down work for college kids. Like, it was one of those. Like, I, I was surprised. Like, as much as people said, this is really, really, really difficult to find things to do, Uh, I I, I went out and I found things to do Um, and I, and I chased down any and every opportunity that I could. (coughs) And, and that created some, some chances to, uh, to learn.
0: So what all were you doing broadcast wise? Like how much news, how many like broadcasts in college were you working on like sports wise?
1: Um, I mean, I, I worked for, you know, at, at various points in my college career, you know, the TV station on campus, two radio stations on campus. I wrote for the Daily Orange. Um, I broadcast, you know, Olympic sports, field hockey, soccer, um, volleyball for uh, the athletic department's outlets, um, Orange All Access, it was called back at that point in time. I think it um, still
0: is, but I think they kind of
1: yeah, I I mean, yes, brought it all in house, I
0: think like
1: yeah i mean it's you know a c c digital network has kind yeah. of taken over a lot of that stuff, mm-hmm. um but this was like the very this was you know this was the beginning of the internet uh in a lot of ways, <laughs> you know it was like one camera broadcasts and a uh, and a microphone um so I did that, and then I did the uh you know the 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 local radio station clear channel cluster um that that we talked about as well um And then uh, eventually later in my college career, I was an intern at nine WSYR television as well. So I worked at the local TV, you know, angle doing stuff for for them too. So I tried to dip my, my toe into as many different things as possible.
0: When you left college, you were still working at the clear channel cluster. Yeah. And when did baseball come into play for you?
1: Uh, right after college, I actually graduated early. Um, I, I, I left college in December of 2008. Um, and then I graduated in, in June of 2009 or May of 2009. Um, but I left, you know, I finished all my coursework in December. I stayed in Syracuse. I worked at, you know, the, the clear channel cluster, um, for a couple of months. And then when baseball season rolled around, I went right into minor league baseball and I moved to, uh, to Buffalo, and um, worked for the Buffalo Bisons that first year out of college. And minor league baseball was where I got my my, my start, my first five, five years uh, professionally I worked in the minors.
0: And you interviewed the guy that was your mentor with the Buffalo Bisons, who's now the voice that's run a blue jays. Yeah, Ben Wagner. What was his philosophy, and what were the things that you took out of working with, with Ben Wagner that you use now at the college level on radio and TV?
1: Oh, goodness. Um, it's hard to go back. And that was, that was twenty thirteen years ago. Um, yeah. I, I mean, he was the first professional boss that I had. So a lot of things I learned about just working in minor league baseball and interacting with players and, watching how he called games. I mean, all that stuff comes from that very first year. And I mean, the, those are, those are formative years cause you're trying to figure out what you're doing. Um, and you're thrown in at a very high level. Um, you know, when you're, when you're working in AAA and you're immediately out of college, um, it's a different kind of deal when, you know, the players are a lot of times major league players and the broadcasters are, you know, there are a lot of big time broadcasters that are working at that level. Um, So you're kind of thrown into the deep end as opposed to, you know, a lot of times you graduate and go work, you know, in East Slingshot where every broadcaster is 22 years old and you're all kind of going through this together. It was kind of getting thrown into the deep end of the pool. So it was just learning how to operate uh, in in that environment and at that level um, and building from
0: there you only Cape Cod League Baseball or was the Buffalo Bisons the only minor league baseball experience you got?
1: No, 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 no. I, I was I was in Buffalo, and then I was in Bradenton, Florida, and the Florida State League, and then Myrtle Beach, South Carolina um, with, uh, with the Myrtle Beach Pelicans.
0: When you worked at all the other minor league teams after Buffalo and things like that, what things did you feel like you gained working with those teams? in those different leagues.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just a progression. Um, It's just calling more games. You know, it's being on the mic for 140 games every year. Um, It's being in different leagues and different situations and different front offices. Um, You know, you're going to learn something new everywhere you go and with every person you work with and with every situation you get put in, um and they were different in each place you know Myrtle Beach was a much different environment than anywhere else I'd worked it was awesome it was one of my favorite places to work um you know Bradenton was different you know the Florida State League at that point in time didn't really have a ton of broadcasting I think now every team has broadcasting but at that point I think in time, so not, yeah not every team did back at that point in time um so you know you, you You'd be you'd be calling games some nights where you're, you're one of two people in the press box, depending on where you were, which was, uh, you know, different and an interesting challenge to, to be a part of. So, yeah, I mean, every place is a new environment. And I think what was cool about that part of my career is that I put myself in a lot of different positions, a lot of different situations, and a lot of different places where you're able to learn a lot of different things because you're being constantly exposed to new and different environments and, and different people
0: was the goal to get to the D1 college level or were you thinking maybe I can get to the majors in baseball and if that happens then college wouldn't be on my radar or was college a goal for you
1: yeah I I just think the goal was always to get better and and get higher um I love college athletics. So being a division one voice has always been a very big goal of mine, but if it was major league baseball, you know, I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to take that. Um, The goal was always to get as far as possible um, in the business and in the, in the craft and just continue to work until you got to a place where, where you were happy with where you were at. Um, And I think for everybody, that's a a never ending quest because you can always get better um, and you can always improve yourself um, and you know, now I'm in a spot where I've got a division one job and, and I'm doing some network television and, um, really happy with those opportunities. So it's all, it's all, uh, yeah. I mean, the goal was always to get to something that looked like this. Yeah.
0: So, which brings us to the question, how did the ball state opportunity come about? Because I know Maury Maine was about to retire at that point, And I don't know if that gave you a clue or did somebody tip you off or did you just see it? on STA, which you and I both are members of. And by the way, I enjoyed the heck out of the summit, even though I had to pop in and out for a couple of interviews on that Monday. But I enjoyed what I could for the yeah. STA Sports Summit.
1: Yeah. Um, so when I was in Bradenton, Florida, um, my boss was a uh, – our GM was a guy by the name of Dan Wolfert. Um, he's a good friend of mine now. Um, he is actually my stats guy now at Ball really? State. Yeah. Um, so that's a, an interesting Small way to world. come full circle. Yeah. Um, Dan's brother is a guy named Matt, who's also a friend of mine. Um, he was at the time the senior associate athletic director for external affairs at ball state. So, uh, I met Matt when I worked in the Florida state league and several years later when Maury retired, that job became open. Um, and through Matt and through Dan, that was the connection that I, that I had that, that got me in the door at Ball State. Um, So that was the initial uh, entree that, that got me to where I am now.
0: So besides being director of broadcasting, what other things entail your job title as the current lead broadcaster for Ball State football, men's basketball, baseball, and whatever else you can actually broadcast and video shoot?
1: Yeah, it's, it's anything, you know, digital, Uh, a lot of video editing, a lot of video board editing, a lot of highlights uh, that we put on, you know, social media or that we use (laughs) in recruiting. Um, A lot of it's recruiting. A lot of, you know, a coach will say, you know, we need this, that, and the other thing to show to potential student athletes. And we'll put that stuff together. Um, A lot of interviews with student athletes, um, a lot of in arena content that you'll see, um I do some written content. again, back to your first question, uh, that goes on the website. Uh so find a way to keep myself busy. There's a lot going on. And uh even despite the current situation that we're in, um still finding myself with uh with a lot to, to keep myself busy.
0: Speaking of that, what are you doing to keep yourself from going stir crazy besides staying busy with all state stuff and what are you currently working on now, even though you're not being able to <clears throat> go on campus or do interviews and all that other stuff.
1: Well, I'm not doing a great job of not being stir crazy. Um, I am, uh, yeah, it's, it is what it is at this point, but yeah, doing a lot of interviews with student athletes and and coaches. Um, so we can put that stuff on the website and on social media and keep, you know, ball state fans and supporters, uh, in touch with our student athletes and in touch with the programs and things are happening, you know, signing days. Um, yeah,
0: I yeah, saw a the basketball of... signing days with a few of the broadcasters that are, right, right. you know, tweeting yeah. out stuff about who's signing where, who's tra- right. you know who's transferring in the portal, and who could right. like three or four star commits and whoever you know could be signing where and vice versa.
1: Right. So they're where. yeah. So that that type of information is is easy to, um, easy to to generate and, and create content. Um, And then you know I mentioned recruiting stuff. um, get involved in that too right now because recruits can't come on campus. So we've got to find, you know, digital ways to get campus to them. So uh, there's, there's certainly enough to, uh, to keep yourself going. It's just, you know, the living room is also the office right now. And (laughs) I I, I could use a second location to be at, that would make life easier.
0: So when you took over at Ball State, what was your thought process? What were the nerves like? Like, how were you feeling heading into basically now uncharted territory and taking over for the legendary voice and stepping into those shoes and at ball state.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, it was, it was nerve wracking. Um, because you feel like, you you know, you feel like at that time, you know, you've, you've made it big time. Um, and I remember that first football game I ever did was completely nerve wracking. Um, and you'd go on Twitter and you'd want to see what the reaction was because you've got these people that listened to the same voice for 56 years that were eager to hear what it would sound like with something new. Um, and you know, what would it sound like? And, um, would they like it? Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was certainly nerve wracking from that standpoint. Um, and I think exciting for the same reason. So, you know, it it's, yeah, it it was, it was a little, it was a little crazy, but I will also say at that time, um, you have to continue to remind yourself to just kind of be yourself and be who you are. Um, those are situations where it's very easy to um, get outside yourself because you feel like you have to live up to a certain standard. Um, and yeah, I mean, we should have a high standard, but like your standard should be your standard and who you are and what you can do and not what anybody else wants you to be thinks you should be uh, or thinks you are. Um, And if you try to create something that is not you, that's where you're going to get into trouble. So um, while it's a crazy time and an exciting time, you also have to remember that it's still a time to just be who you are. And hopefully that that uh, winds up being good enough for uh, everybody out there who's, who's consuming whatever content we put out.
0: How long did it take you to find your sound that felt comfortable I, yeah, for you?
1: I, I haven't. <laughs> um, yeah, i and, it's, and that's just being honest. I mean, it, it just—you're always trying to find a level, a level of comfortability. Um, and even if you think you've got it, you can always get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly on television, you know. Any time you think you have figured it out, like you can always continue to to gain a level of comfort. And anytime you work with a new analyst, there's a new level of comfort to develop with that person. Um, so, I mean, you're always working to be better, sound better, um, create a better product. Uh, you get better at doing that as time goes on, but absolutely Mm -hmm. it's always an ongoing process.
0: Who's your current analyst on radio now that you work with and how do you feel like you guys have, you know, connected and you know created a nice chemistry and how long did it take you to feel like that you and your analyst actually had a good flow and a good rhythm
1: yeah rich spizak is his name on on football uh david eha is his name on basketball and you know it took some time absolutely um you know it takes i mean honestly years to really understand each other and know um what people like what they want to say when they want to say it um but you know like we're at the point in time now I think with both of us uh with with both Rich and myself and with David and myself that we have a really good understanding of um how we how I call a game and how they see a game and how they what type of input they like and what they you know I know what makes them tick in watching a game. I know where their mind is at. I know what will make them happy. I know what will make them upset if they see it. Um, you know, I, 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 I know, you know, Rich wants teams to run the ball. Um, I know Rich <laughs> replay reviews. Um, so <laughs> because of those things, you know, it allows you to have a little bit more fun in a game because you know, what makes somebody tick. I know that, you know, my basketball analyst, David, is okay with errors of commission and and, um, does not like errors of omission. So basically he's okay with, if you make a mistake, trying to make something happen. It's something that he was taught with Rick Majerus as his coach. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that he will always say, always, that the best threes come off of offensive rebounds. So it almost becomes a running gag that when somebody hits a three off of an offensive rebound, I will tell David to tell people at home where the best threes come from.
0: But you know say, what? It's true because in, in a roundabout way, your analyst is right because most of the time you get offensive rebound, the defense is scrambling back and you're, yeah. you know, and that's how you get a person's going to get wide open. Who probably doesn't right. get that wide open anyway. He probably only shoots like 20 percent Right. But like a 70% three-point shooter because they're wide open because the defender didn't get back.
1: Right. But I, so, you know, I know that that's always something that David is thinking and it just creates an interesting moment on air because it, it, it allows us to have some teamwork between each other um, because I, I, I know that's where his mind is going to go.
0: So how did the TV stuff come about for you? Because I know you had worked in TV a little bit and then how did you get the gig with CBS Sportsnet and now other things you're doing with I think ESPN, I think, a couple of times, I think you said um, on the... Pod, you've done some ESPN stuff, and
1: yeah, I did the Little League World Series uh, softball regionals with ESPN last last year. That was, and I've done one basketball game. So that's I have limited experience with them. Yeah,
0: but how did you? But how did the CBS Sports Network relationship and everything come about? Where you got that gig that you're currently working with them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I got lucky enough to get to the point. You know, some people will say agents are helpful or you don't need an agent or you can do things on your own, or they're the one most wonderful thing in the world. Um, in my case, I was lucky enough to, um, find an agent, uh, who wanted to work with me. And, um, she was my connection into CBS. And, um, I just got, you know, I got, I got lucky on both fronts that I found somebody, uh, who believed in me and that she was able to pitch me to a network. Um, and they then believed in me. And that was, that's, that's honestly how CBS came about.
0: And you've been doing that for the last, what, few, three or four years now, I guess?
1: Three years, yes. Yeah, okay.
0: So, okay. Now let's go to the pod. To your PHP pod. It mm-hmm. took some time away, but what was the premise or emphasis? Or did somebody say, hey, we need... What I like to refer to your PXP pod for me is my play-by-play classroom. That's what I literally call it every Friday before a game broadcast or if I don't get a chance to listen to it before a game broadcast or listen to it on the way home or Saturday. What was the premise or what were you thinking what was the what was your concept on what you wanted with play-by-play cast
1: honestly it came about because um it was a summer and i was working at ball state and i wanted to do some semblance of broadcasting and i didn't have anything to call um so i started a podcast and uh, there used to be a podcast. I mean, it still exists if you go find it. There just haven't been new episodes in a while. Um, it was called The Podcast About Sports Radio. Um, and there are other podcasts like Play-By-Playcast out there. Um, at the time, Say the Damn Score existed, hosted by Logan Anderson. It still does.
0: Yes. And, um, I listen to that one. Yeah. Sean I Ahernson did listen. Does. There was another one. What was it? With There was like yours and there was somebody, something with, what was it? Jason, yeah, Sean, somebody or other?
1: Sean Aronson does the voice behind the voice, which is yeah, another one. I listened to that one too. So those, those two existed already. Um, but what was different, you know, both of those are great in their own ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they're a little bit more autobiographical, if that makes sense. You know, Sean's, sure. Sean's definitely is. Like if, if you want to get to know who the voices are, like as people and stories throughout their career, um, which is really awesome insightful information like sean's podcast is great for that and i've learned countless things about people um Mm -hmm. that i had no idea uh by listening to that but like what was cool about the podcast about sports radio was it interviewed sports talk show hosts about sports talk radio and the questions were all like how do you host a show solo versus how do you host a show with partners and how do you think of topics and um Like if, if you reviewed your material today, what would be great and what would be bad? And what are you working on? It was always so insightful to listen to how these people did this, but I wasn't a talk show. And I wanted that. I wanted that for a play-by-play broadcaster. Um, I wanted to be able to interview people about how they did what they did. Um, So that became the genesis of PXPCast was, you know, I I wanted to be able to interview play-by-play broadcasters about how they did a play-by-play and it became kind of a, a professional development half hour, 45 minutes per hour, uh, every week.
0: Yep. And then after Steve Clout, I know you took a little bit of time away cause you know, you were trying to <clears throat> figure out that you were going to continue it. but after taking some time away, you've actually gotten some good guests and you know, the new episodes that you've had roll out as of late. Mm-hmm. What things were you trying to mentally figure out after you had gotten done with Skeet Clowkey and things like that? Like, what <laughs> were you trying to figure out? Like, should I keep doing it? Why, why, I... was, there,
1: why was there a break?
0: None, uh, yeah, I'm just wondering, like, mentally, how did you decide, like, if this was something you were wanting to continue, even though you still had the love for it? Yeah, I mean, I was, was mentally I always... exhausted.
1: Yeah. And I just, I always wanted to continue doing it. It's just, I, it was, it was, I stopped doing it for a couple of months in football and then in basketball season. Um, because like, I just, I honestly, like I just got busy. Um, and it got to the point where I, uh, like, I always felt like I was chasing guests and i be like, Oh my God, I don't have a guest yet. And I would just do the podcast. I'd find, I'd have to find somebody, um, because I didn't have an interview. Um, and I hated that. Like, I, I didn't want to be chasing after people because I needed the interview. Um, and I wanted to do the interviews because I wanted to do the interviews and, um, and, and they were always like, I always got good information out of it. And I always thought they were fun and informative. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I didn't want to be sitting there on, on Wednesday, like, oh my God, I have to do the podcast. Otherwise I'm not gonna be able to get it out. Um, and it became like this deadline chasing thing as opposed to the educational fun part of it. So, um, took a little break from it for a while and I've come back, uh, the last couple months.
0: Kind of like what I'm trying to do here is not for me like to chase interview, but I want to get to know you know these yeah. people to know who these other people are because we're all you know we're all doing games you know behind a headset, but who are we when we're not you know doing a game? Yeah. Like what are like what are we regu- What are we humans that are trying to act like human machines? What do we look like? when we're actually yeah. not trying to act like robots? 100%. And go, 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 go. 100%. And I mean, like, <laughs> I know you do, like, both entities, radio and TV. And I asked this to a few of the broadcasters that I've had on here. Like, how do you mentally keep yourself sharp and not and avoid falling into that ever-popular pitfall slash trap of radio, trying to do a radio play-by-play broadcast on TV? And, you know, when you're doing the radio broadcast, you kind of forget that you're doing the radio broadcast you do tv
1: yeah i don't think it's ever an issue of forgetting which one i'm doing um like i don't you know i, I think it, it's a pretty easy delineation like i don't think i've ever been in a spot where i've felt like i've i have to remind myself which one i'm calling um mm-hmm. you know like i'm I'm not talking enough on radio or i'm talking too much on television um i mean i'm, I'm talking too much on television yes that's a, that's a pretty Uh, regular problem but it's not because I am going back and forth um you know I I think the the bigger issue of bouncing between the two of them is the speed of it because Mm. when you're doing television obviously you're not talking the same way and when you go back to radio the game is much faster and being able to see process and communicate the amount of detail as quickly as you want on radio is harder when you're not doing radio as much so like it can take a game sometimes or a half sometimes for me to feel like I've got my feet back underneath me doing radio just because you're trying to spit out and process more <laughs> information than you're used to doing on TV.
0: Now, how does it work when it's a Ball State game and you're doing the TV side? Who who slides in for you on the radio side or how does that all work for, with with your schedule when you're bouncing around like on a game where you know, you know Ball State, but you're, calling a Mac game on a Tuesday night, instead of on radio, you slide over to TV and your analyst is on the radio side.
1: Um, well, David comes with me from radio to television. Oh, for, he does. For, okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So that's really good. Um, and then um, a guy named Jeff Weller, uh, who's been around ball state for decades uh, fills in on the radio side.
0: So he, he goes solo well on the radio side.
1: No, he has a guy named Scott Bunnell. He's a former coach at Ball State.
0: Okay, uh, fills in. And I think didn't you have that happen for football? I think, or is it? Or you've been do Have you done just all radio for football?
1: Yeah, I've I not. I've not missed a football game yet.
0: So, what's it like when you? Now, was he the color that you have for football? Was he with you when you stepped? Was he there? When you took over, or did they have to find another club analyst for you?
1: No, uh, Mark O'Connell was my analyst for my first year, maybe my second year. Um, yes, he was in my first two years, um, former quarterback. He had been doing it for like a decade um, and then uh, stepped away, spent some more time with his family. Um, and Rich Spizak, who I'm with now, uh, has been with me ever since.
0: And you have, and you guys have no sideline guy, correct? Right? You guys are just the only. We do. Two that, no, okay. we do.
1: We've yeah, we've gone through a couple of different ones. Um, usually a student or a grad student. Um, so I think the last six years, yeah, we've had sidelines.
0: Because I wasn't sure, like you know, if that was something that was there when you you know stepped into that role, or was that something we that did was, not have one when I got there. Okay, because I wasn't sure if that was something that you were wanting to get or if that was just an idea like maybe we need some extra coverage from the field since we're the only two people up there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think initially I wanted one for like the halftime coach perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's nice to have a, I I think it feels better to have a third person um, and a third voice than always just to have the two of you. Um, So I think that was what my, my initial want was in that area.
0: What are you looking for? What are you willing to get out of your stat person and whoever is spotting, with you, spot, yeah, spotting for you for a game week? Say that again? What are you looking for with your stats person Yeah, the person who um, spots with you and the person who spots for you at like home games? I don't know if you have a spotter for the road or if it's the same person. I don't. Not on the road.
1: Um, but I... I, I do at home and it's more, it's the the biggest thing for me, I'm really bad at math. Um, so the biggest thing for me is he's got a chart that says one to a hundred and he will point to me how long, long plays are. Um, so I'm not doing the math quickly in my head. So if it's, you know, first and seven at the 26 yard line and the guy throws it uh, to the opponent's 48, like for me to sit there and do that math quickly in my head, yeah, I could do it, um, but I'm trying to talk and I'm trying to get to my analyst and I'm trying to punctuate the call with a certain nugget that I've got here. Um, it's easier for me to just look, and he's pointing 42 yards. Um, so that's the most helpful thing. And then statistically, he'll you know, I, he, he has scraps of paper, and he'll write down anything he thinks is interesting um and just feed it to me and i'm always of the ilk of feed me more like give me more information give me as much information as possible if you think it's interesting give it to me if you think it's not interesting give it to me um let me decide if it's interesting um is the thing i always tell my stats people like just keep writing things down and putting it in front of me and if i like it i'll use it on the air um my job as the play-by-play guy is to be that gatekeeper of that information so Um, you know don't you as the stats person be that gatekeeper you as the stats person just just give me stuff give me stuff and I know some people don't like that because some people just don't want all this stuff in front of them Um, I'd rather have you tell me something and I can make the decision if I want to use it and how than not know that information at all
0: so for you how do you know where you want to put things and where things aren't supposed to go for a particular time, but you know, you're probably going to need it or you'll have to come back to it again.
1: Yeah. I usually just put it in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> like I've got a stack and I'll save something or I'll keep it in my mind of, you know, what it is and where I want to use it. Um, and if it's really cool, I'll, I'll have an idea. Um, so I'll remember to come back to it.
0: And TV, you have a graphics package, so you don't have to do much on that.
1: Yeah, but I mean, still, it's, yeah, it's still the same way. I'll keep something on hand if I want, if I want to use it later.
0: What's your game prep week like usually? Depends on the
1: sport. Um, depends on the time of year. Depends on the medium. Um, but, you know, for football in particular, it's a, it's a, um, it's a week long thing. It starts on Saturday. It starts on Sunday. Um, I'll listen back to the game from saturday i'll start laying out my boards on sunday i'll I'll do most of my human interest research prep. you know who are the important players? what are their backstories all that stuff happens on sunday <laughs> i'll put my stats in my board on sunday um, and then little bits and pieces throughout the week I'll look at different types of stats i'll look at different interviews i'll look at depth charts i'll read game notes um, I'll do all of that kind of stuff. Uh, in the early part of the week, and then by the back half of the week, I'm usually just kind of reinforcing and studying so that when Saturday comes, I'm, I'm good to go. Um, for basketball, it's that, but condensed, because obviously there's less players and less time, so that's usually happening over the course of you know a couple of days. Um, if it's a network TV game, I'm usually a little bit aware of it the week ahead of time, so that if I've got some sort of cool idea about how I want to tell a story or how I want to involve uh, some sort of additional elements, uh, I'll be able to to be on the same page with my producers for that um ahead of time.
0: When do you get player and coach interviews? For you know if it's player. for you know
1: you know if it's if it's for basketball it'll be to shoot around the day before the game um or it'll be um you know the, the the practice the day before um for football it's throughout the course of the week you know at Ball State um you know, after practice, Tuesday and Wednesday is usually when I do most of that work.
0: How long did it take you to a gain rapport with players and coaches and B, how long did it take you to be accepted by the coaching staff and players and how long did it take you to build the trust that you have with the coaches that you're dealing with now and the players that you're dealing with from either their freshman year or their senior year and on and off the record stuff that either they will allow you to say or things that they don't want reported on the air.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's always an ongoing process. It's like anything, you know, it's, you know, building a relationship with any person and with anybody. Um, It's no different being on television or being on radio. Um, I think when I got to Ball State initially, Pete Lembo was the head coach and he was very welcoming um, very welcoming and made it really easy for me in that situation to, um, feel like I was a part of what was happening. Um, and then it kind of built from there. And, you know, I think the longer you're at a place, um, the, the, the more credibility that comes with it, but you always have to maintain it. Um, and that's the biggest thing is that you always (laughs) have to, um, you always have to keep that up so that you don't lose that trust you get from coaches and from players
0: so what's next for you or do you happy where you are? are you looking to keep going forward with your podcast career what yeah I
1: mean I think you're always happy where you are um you know it's one of those uh you got to be present you've got to be where your feet are um has been said on the podcast a couple of times in recent weeks is you know, you've got to be present. And if you're Mm -hmm. not present, you can't do the job that you, you can't do as good of a job with what you want. um, Ever. So, I mean, you have to, you have to be locked into what the job that you're doing and give it your full attention um, so that you can do the best job that you're doing. Um, So, yeah, I mean, for, for now, yeah, I'm I'm really happy with where I'm at and, and with the opportunities that have been afforded to me.
0: How do you deal with storylines for a particular game week? In what way? Like, how do you best use storylines or like a football broadcast or a basketball broadcast? Like, how do you, you you know, because I know you were talking to Pete Brannica about it yesterday. How do you keep games relevant either that are blowouts or... Because games that are tight are going to basically tell its own story anyway. Right. So how do you determine, you know, the best storylines that you and your color analyst, or, you know, you and your producers are going to talk about on TV or what you're going to deal with on the radio side storyline-wise? Like, how do you determine during the week when you go look at, say, Ball State or taking on either Ohio or when you finally beat Northern Illinois. And I I could just tell the relief in your voice when they finally beat Northern because it seemed like it was one of those albatrosses that just seemed like you just couldn't get over with the Huskies.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, that depends on the game. Um, And it just depends on the situation. And a lot of it comes from (laughs) feel in terms of when you want to use certain stories. Um, I think you always go into a game thinking this is something I really want to get to doesn't mm-hmm. always happen um, and you can't force it. Early in my career I 100% did. I remember I wanted to tell a story about Andy Marte when I was working in Buffalo and in the ninth inning of a game I got that story in because I'll be damned. Um,
0: <laughs> you like, know, I'm going to get that story in no matter what yeah, even if it, it kills
1: me. 100% and that was probably the wrong thing to do.
0: Um, but do you, do you so, feel so, like you, you know, had to learn that big no-no over time? Sorry to cut you off oh, there. Oh no, yeah, one no, of those? God, yeah things as like okay i know i can't force this but i'm going to force it anyway but how long did you (laughs) feel longer than
1: it should have taken
0: (laughs) are there any other hurdles besides not trying to force things that you're still trying to learn the lesson on to pass the test in this thing called broadcasting which is a crazy world
1: yeah always um how you describe a play, how you listen to, a lot of it's analyst related, you know, how you listen to your analyst, how you interact with your analyst, how you set them up, how you lead them down certain paths, how you get out of their way. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that you're always working on is, is that relationship because the more fine tuned that relationship is, and it's hard because sometimes with a new person, but you gotta be able to do it on the fly. Um, The more in tune that relationship is, the better off you will always be.
0: Can you feel like sometimes you can go down a wormhole that's way too big with too much information for circuitry oh. yep uh one hundred
1: percent
0: how do how do you how do you mentally dispense from when you're looking down like <laughs> so many articles looking on YouTube or something or going through social media Facebook Twitter, so on and so forth like how do you figure out okay, this is relevant this is somewhat relevant and this is not relevant, but if we need to come to it, we'll use it. Like how do you you, you mentally unclutter what you need, what you somewhat need, what you don't need, but can be used later.
1: It's all just your weeding out process. Um, And I think you have to have a genuine curiosity in doing this no matter what. So it's one of those things where um, like any, like, just be an information hound and find <laughs> stuff. And, I mean, you, and you've got to have a sensibility of knowing, you know, what's important and what's not important. Um, and that, you know, you just kind of have to know, like it, it was what, is what I'm reading useful or is it not useful? Um, but if you have curiosities, look things up and read things and learn things. And um, the more that you do that, uh, you're, I mean, you're going to, you're going to go down some different rabbit holes, but, you know, you always have to do it because you're curious and you never know when information you learn and when information you find is going to be useful. It probably won't be for this game, but it might be for one three years from now because you learned something. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's I, I think, the outlook
0: on that. How did you put the Marla Maples reference, even though that's, because that was way back from one of the episodes, yes, I do listen, that you said you were trying to put a, Marlon Maples from a book that you had read into a broadcast of a basketball broadcast. You were trying to figure out how to put it in. Did you ever get it in? And how did you decide?
1: I don't. I don't don't remember which one that is.
0: I don't know what episode it was, but I remember you said something about you had a book and you had a Marlon Maples reference. Was the I?
1: I mean, I I honestly have no idea. Um, I I I I don't. I don't. I don't know.
0: <laughs> Catchphrases? Are you like hate them? Good. Same here. Don't like them, but I know a lot of people use them because that's who they are.
1: Yeah, I mean, and in certain places they're good. Um, you know, Wayne Larravee, There's your dagger. <laughs> that's always a good one. Um, Doesn't and that it works. Doesn't it, it works, but you know, I don't have one. Um, I've never thought about one. I just. It, it's it's not not I, I haven't stumbled across anything that really works tremendously so
0: yeah when you get young broadcasters that send you links to their stuff what are you listening for and what are your do's and don'ts for them that you give them so they can improve their work
1: I'm usually listening for um control and command like do you sound like you're in control do you sound like you you belong if that makes sense do you sound comfortable um that's always the first thing that jumps out at me um you know time and score is always important that's always something you're listening for um but like but but control and command and uh you know do you do you do you sound the right way like do you sound at ease um do you do you get up for big calls? do you come back down for not big calls Um, you know are you is your pacing good uh are you forcing things um those are usually the big things that jump out at me initially whenever I listen to to myself or or to anybody else that would you know come across a plate
0: How much do you write down when you go back and listen to yourself stuff? I, I think this is probably be the your last question or if there's something else out of this that pops up that maybe one more question to follow up to close up shop and I've, you know, take an hour of your time and I appreciate it. But what things when you listen back, how much are you writing down like, okay, I you know, I can do this better. I like this. Always.
1: Um I mean I've got a notebook and I time code everything and I write down things I didn't like, things I did like um, in everything that I listened to. Um, So I can flip back through games and I can see where things were that I liked and that I didn't like. Um, That's for, you know, real purposes, you know, if I want to go pull something. Um, But it's also just, you know, having notes on things that I I can go back to games and tell you what I did and didn't do well in this game Um, and what I want to do better the next game. Um, so it just keeps you in the right frame of mind that way.
0: I know the old adage is "we're our own harshest critic." Uh huh. But can you sometimes mentally, you know, pick yourself apart too much to where you may lose uh-huh. who you are as a broadcaster? Uh
1: huh. Um, yeah, and, and you have to remind yourself not to do that. One hundred percent have to remind yourself not to do that. Um, I think it's good to be your own harshest critic because you have to get better. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, you've got to, I think also be, be a realist sometimes, um, with how you, um, how harsh you are in reviewing yourself because it's really easy to, to lose sight of, um, kind of where you are. And sometimes I think this goes down like a rabbit hole of like mental health. Um, mm, I think, <laughs> you know, I, I think sometimes it's it's really easy to be too hard on yourself and you've got to be a realist about where you're at. But I think you also have to be very honest with where you're at. Um, and I think that can be a double-edged sword.
0: Because I always do that in real time and I mean, you know, I when I get done doing a game, I always try to pick it apart because I'm doing... I'm trying to critique myself in real time, like between games, like what did I not do in the girls game that I need to do in the boys game? Mm-hmm. Cause I'm all, you know, there's always two games, you know, a week, if it's a double header, sometimes it's one, depending on if it, you know, or you're doing a tournament setting or maybe a classic setting. But in real time, it's just, you're just picking yourself apart so much that, when you go when you finish, you're like, I've given at least three hours of my night. Yeah. And I've I've picked myself apart so much, it's like I know I'm gonna upload this and I know it's gonna sound probably a lot worse than it actually did. So how do you keep yourself real time when you're doing an actual game? from mentally going insane when you get done with a segment that has a timeout on the field or on the floor and when you're doing, or, you know, pitch to pitch, when you're doing softball, baseball, and other sports that you're either video shooting that you don't get to do play-by-play for, but you're doing the video. How do you, you know, make sure that you don't critique yourself into a total insanity factory while you're actually doing what you've got to
1: have a, you've got to have a short memory. Um, you just have to, if you make a mistake, you've got to move on. I know you said you were in that STAA summit on Monday. Yeah, I was. I mean, I,
0: cause you know, I caught about, what was it? I caught the end of Kevin Harlan. I had to jump out cause I really wanted to hear Swarovski, but I didn't get a chance to, so I didn't get a chance to listen to Jim Nance or Beth Mullins or Tracy Wolfson. I just popped back in for Ian Eagle and Kostas and, huge because i had to do go handle a couple of other things with my pot with what i'm doing like with what we're doing here so
1: yeah that's I mean, why the, i left out the
0: thing jim nance
1: said that i thought was most <laughs> interesting was it's okay to make mistakes and i think you know as you, you know you're a person you talk extemporaneously for such a long time three sure. hours on the air yeah. um you're gonna you're gonna bobble over a word that's okay it's not the end of the world and i think you've got to have a short memory in broadcasting because you're going to make a mistake. Um, and just like, all, right, all right, next thing, move on. Um, and you know, I think when you talk about timeouts, those are good to kind of give yourself a mental reset, even if you didn't make a mistake, maybe hey, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was at my best for those four minutes. Yeah. Cause mental. I know there's
0: like more than, you know, maybe one segment where, yeah, you're doing well at the tip, but when you get, I don't know, their coach calls a timeout and it's a 30 or a 60 and you're trying to block out the extra access noise of music and things on the PA, you're like, okay, what did, I mean, because I turn and I talk to the person who's helping me out with spotting and giving me information, Like, what did we not do, you know, for that particular period that we need to make sure that we're doing?
1: It's just just having that time to use it as a mental reset. And the thing you always have to tell yourself as well is it's never as bad as you think it is. And it's never as good as you think it is. It's always somewhere in the middle. And, um, you know, during a game, don't be reviewing yourself that way because you'll drive yourself insane. Um, You know, do a game, be present in the moment take all your focus to do the game. And then uh, after the fact, that's when you can go back and
0: do a review of yourself. So final question for you, what are your do's and don'ts? And what do you feel like we go back to prep again? What are your mandatory staples that if you were doing a game right now, which we are or not, that are, Mandatory necessaries have to have.
1: Um That's funny because I asked that question to people and now I have to think of it. Um (laughs) you know I I need to I need to know uh who a team is. And this you know, we talked about this with Pete Pranica.
0: Yeah, I remember this because he went I mean he went master class on offensive offensive efficiency against you know another team yeah like I mean not all, all that, the stats not that he that, talked about
1: yeah not even that deep but i just need to know who a team is like mm-hmm. you know what's a team good at um who's their best player um you know i, I give me the, i i need a quick snapshot of who who the what the soul of a team is and what i'm expecting to see here um because from there you can construct out a story based on what you're witnessing in front of you. Um, But I, you know, I, if you, if you give me kind of a cliff notes game notes version of a team without doing any other in-depth research or even looking at a ton of stats, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, you know, I, I think I'd be okay. um, Because I, I've got a boilerplate idea of who a team is. Um, I think that's the most important thing to me outside of, you know, name number and all that kind of thing.
0: What are you looking at video wise? Uh, you know I watch, one?
1: yeah, I, I watch usually a game, um, just to see who people are and how they move, and have an idea of some things that have happened previously um, that I will witness firsthand that way, or that announcers will talk about.
0: Have you, when you've done your prep, have you been caught off guard by stuff like, oh yeah, things that you didn't, that you thought you had seen everything on the video, but then they may throw this monkey wrench in. Uh, yeah but I don't yeah and... but
1: yeah but I don't I don't want I'm not a coach like right. I'm not I'm not watching film to be able to break you down in a scouting report so sure. I've never expected this I've never like watched a team and like, wow I've never seen them do that uh defense against you know the pick and roll before like that's not that's what my analyst is for right. um so let, they'll be surprised and then we'll figure it out on the air um you know that's not usually the type of film that, that I'm watching for
0: Thank you, Joel. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Hey,
1: my pleasure, Luther. Anytime.
0: Hopefully, hopefully we can do this again, and maybe I might return the favor and join you on cast eventually. <laughs> yeah. If you want, or if not, I can just keep listening like always and just use it <laughs> as my play-by-play classroom and get better.
1: Yeah, hey, my pleasure. I'm glad it's there for you.
0: I mean, I you know I enjoy it. I mean, I'm glad I'm doing this because it gives me at least something else to do until I can get back yacking about other teams that I cover. So, you know, you, awesome. you just. Keeps moving. Hopefully next time we get a chance to do another one of these, we're talking about games.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Amen to that.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you, Joe. Sure.
1: Yep.